Welcome, everybody. Everybody, welcome Fletcher. Welcome, Fletcher. It's good to see you, Fletch. Guys, it's great to see you. How's everybody doing? Good. Uh, so we're going to continue in our series. And John, welcome back if you've been tracking along with us. If you are new or you're visiting for the first time, just so you know, we love visitors. You're welcome anytime to participate. Uh, what we do is we read and study the Bible. We're going to do about 20 minutes of a teach today in the book of John. We're going to continue with some songs after that. And then we break up when we go into small groups. Those of you that are familiar, you know this. We're going to spend about 45 minutes. And this is our time during the week to discuss kind of how life is going, how we're uh, walking this thing out with, uh, with God, and also to kind of discuss some of the things that we learned in the lesson. So, welcome. Um, I have a sad announcement. This is my only announcement. Main event is canceled. Did you guys know that? Oh, I heard a cheer. Is that a cheer? Fletcher, did you just cheer? Um, Patrick Buck, Patrick Buck canceled it. Where's Patrick? That's not true. <laughs> uh, no, we, um, you know, there was a bunch of you that had signed up, but we have a, anytime you do an event like that, you have to have a minimum amount of participants to make it work. So main event had a number and we were not going to reach it. And so don't worry about the details. Just know that uh, we're regretting it as much as you are, and we definitely want to get together with you guys and do something fun. So I don't know if it's postponed or canceled or what, but we would definitely like to do something soon. So now that we got that bummer news out of the way, I know it, mine too. Let me pray, and then we'll get into John. How's that? Jace, you good with that? All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. Uh, we love coming together. We are sad we don't get to hang out Friday night, but we get to uh, open up your scriptures and meet with you tonight. We get to hear from you and to pray that you would challenge us. God, that we don't get too many opportunities during our week to hear from you, and so I pray you would give the kids ears to, to hear and uh, attention span, just a, a distraction-free 40 minutes right now to commune with you and get to know you. And pray that your Holy Spirit would help me to teach in a way that's clear and that you'd apply it to their hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, we started in John. We're still in John 1. We haven't made it past the first chapter. Now, once we get through chapter 1, things are going to pick up quite a bit. Uh, but we're going to finish chapter 1 today. And uh, what we've said is we're approaching this last week, if you remember, we're approaching this kind of like a courtroom. Like we're getting to be a part of the jury. We're getting to be a part of the audience that's listening as John is explaining the witness's testimony and the things that he saw with his eyes in Jesus' life, the things that he heard with his ears in Jesus' teaching. And, uh, and so we're, we're considering this or we're approaching this like it's the trial of who is Jesus, really? Um, let me ask you this. When you were in elementary school, seventh graders, you don't have to think back too far. I have to think back quite a bit. There was uh, kickball. Did you guys play kickball in PE? All right. 
And when coach says, uh, captains choose, right? I was like, yes. Right? I was so competitive, naturally, I'm thinking like, we're going to put together a squad, we're going to win this thing easy, right? So how would you pick your kickball team? And I don't want you to answer out loud, I want to think about it. Because some of you were like, you know, my friends that would be like, I'm going to pick my best friends, right? So they'd be like, Susie, you're my number one pick. And you're like, oh my gosh, they're going to get destroyed. They're like, Bo, Bo's my number one kick, right? Then you pick your other friend, and this one is like, uh, this is Dallas Whitlow over here picking all of his soccer buddies for kickball, and they just like boot the ball into outer space. And then this team is like all their buddies, none of them play soccer, but they're friends, and they get destroyed, right? So like, if you pick the best kickers, you win in kickball. It's like a law of physics. It, I'm sure Sir Isaac Newton figured that out. Like, you pick the best, you are the best, and you'll win. Now, we're in high school football right now, football season, right? How do you become the best football team? You have probably the best athletes, but probably you need the best coaches, right? And you probably need the best resources and maybe the best workout and then if you're the best at every position, it's a no-brainer. You win. This works in every area of life. You're going to be the most, think about this, the most influential president in the history of America. If you're going to be that president, what do you need? You need to have the best person working on the economy. You need to have the best person that's working on foreign affairs. You need a team around you or a squad around you that's the best. Now consider this. History Channel, I was watching with my kids one day. This is probably about five years ago. And we were watching the most influential human beings to ever walk the planet. And History Channel is not a Christian station, right? And so we're watching, you know, number 15, Napoleon. And they would do a little thing on who Napoleon was and what he did and how he affected the world. And then it was Sir Isaac Newton was one of them. And they kept on talking. And it kept on going. Every commercial break, you're getting closer to number one. And do you know who number one was? Jesus Christ from Nazareth. And I remember my kids, like, they were younger, and they, like, looked at me like, wait, are they, is History Channel Christian? And we had that conversation of, like, no, even, even non-Christian people will say Jesus had the greatest impact on this planet that any human being that has ever walked the planet has ever had. It's a lot of evers. It's the most influential person, Okay. So if we just take our kickball example and say, how did Jesus become the most influential person? We know that he picked a squad that was unbelievable, that they were the best at everything, right? And this is what's strange about John's gospel, is when he's trying to tell us that Jesus is the Son of God, he then goes into how he picks his team, and you'll see that he does not pick the best guys, and it's pretty puzzling. Open your Bibles to John 1 if you haven't already. We're going to start where we left off in verse 35. And I'm going to walk you through this moment where Jesus is picking his team. He's picking his squad. We're not going to do verses on the screen. Again, I told you, when you open up the Bible and you see it on pages and you can write and underline and circle and you can kind of see how the story lays out, it's much easier for you guys to engage in the Bible. So I want you guys to 
If you don't have a Bible, there's an NLT in the bookstore that's really nice. It's got a leather cover and everything, and I think it's like $18 or $19. It's really cheap. Okay. Verse 35. It says, The following day, John was again, remember this is John the Baptist, standing with two disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. He said, what do you want? He asked them. And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon uh, when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him for the rest of the day. It seems like a, a story we could just kind of pass over. But let me explain this word disciple to you. Um, we do, uh, you know, formal education. You guys are at different schools. Their education system was this rabbi-disciple relationship, at least within a group called the Pharisees who were teaching the Bible. They were like the most prominent religious people of the day. They did this thing where a rabbi would take, I don't know, 60 of you, and he would raise you in like little Hebrew school. You'd go to a little kindergarten, right? Then you'd go to first grade and second grade. Every year, they would cut out kids. So it's like, I'm sorry, you know, like Jason's not very good with the scissors, you're out, right? Like Gabe's not memorizing his scripture, you're out. And, and he'd whittle it down until you were a teenager, and he would say the phrase, come follow me. And at that moment, if it's hard for us to imagine that being like the best thing you could hear, but it would be like Stanford or like a great education opportunity saying, we're giving you a full ride scholarship. Like, you're the best of the best. You're the smartest. Come study at our school. So when we see come follow me in this text, I want you to know, come follow me is the call every little Hebrew kid wanted to hear. That means I get to go leave everything and go be discipled by a rabbi. Now, maybe that doesn't sound super exciting to you. Here's what, here's what a disciple-rabbi relationship was like. The rabbi was the teacher, and it wasn't like uh, we went to a classroom. The rabbi would walk around, and he would teach everybody the Bible. Everyone was welcome to come into the synagogue multiple times during the week, and he would read the scriptures, and he would teach. And the disciples would sit at his feet, and they would memorize everything he's teaching. They would memorize his teaching, and they would imitate his character. So even the way he answered people, the disciples were expected to take on that posture. And then the, the end of it was, after they have memorized his teaching and they had um, learned the scriptures and they were imitating his character, then the rabbi would release that disciple, and guess what the disciple would become? A new rabbi, and he would get a synagogue, and he would start making disciples. Okay? So this is what's happening when John the Baptist is in the water. He's plunging people into the water. He's got thousands of people around, and he's got these two disciples, and he tells his disciples as Jesus walks by, he says, look, there he is, the guy from yesterday. I saw the Holy Spirit come down and lay on it. Like, that's the chosen one of Israel. That's the Lamb of God. Now, the two disciples immediately, what? They like peace to John, and they're going. Now, here's what I love about John the Baptist is that's John the Baptist's whole purpose. 
Very rarely do you see a person that where people are saying, like, are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? Are you the best? Are you the highest position? And he's like, no, 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 no. John the Baptist always is known for, like, no, I'm none of that stuff. No, 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 no. I'm just here to make way for a guy that is so much better than me, I can't even, like, clean or, or strap his sandals. Like, this dude is so good. And so when John says to his disciples, go follow that guy. Like, he's the real deal. It's really our posture as your leaders and your small group leaders. We don't want you to follow us. Like, I don't want you to become Brian Berger or some, like, lame version of me. You'd probably be a cooler version of me, actually. Right? That's not the goal. The goal is, I'm John the Baptist saying, like, no, there's someone way better. Like, I'm not even worthy. You need to go to him. And so out of these thousands of people that are seeing John, two of them break off, and they leave, and they go to Jesus. This interesting interaction. And I think when you read the Bible, you have to put yourself in the scene. This is my favorite part about reading the Bible is, what did it actually look like? And I told you I got to go to Israel this last year, so I kind of know what the terrain looks like, and I can kind of picture this happening. But it says, Jesus looked around and saw these two following him. Like, can you imagine, like, two creepers, just like Jesus is moving past this crowd, and all of a sudden there's two following him? And what does he say? It's really strange. What do you want? Now, I don't know if he said, what do you want? I don't know how he said it. But isn't this the question we have to ask? Jesus is saying, you're following me. What do you want from me? And if we could just pause for a second and say, why are you here? Like if Jesus could say something to you right now, what do you want from him? Is there a right answer? I'm going to suppose they could have said, we want eternal life. And that like would have been legit. That's not what they said. We want you to, we want you to, to teach us and we want to be your disciples. That would have been legit. That's not what they said. Well, we, we want to know who you are, and we want to serve you. That would have been legit. That's not what he said. They said, uh, where are you staying? And he said, Jesus said, come on, I'll show you. Like, the beginning of discipleship is not like you have the best question or the best motives. The beginning of discipleship is this, Jesus I just, I don't know, wherever you're at, I want to be there. I mean, really, that's what the disciples are saying, right? Like, you're going, you're walking, I'm following you, and he turns around and asks me, what do I want? I go, I just want, I want to be with you. Where are you staying tonight? And Jesus' answer is awesome. I don't, he doesn't know these guys from anything. He says, let's go. I'll show you. And it says he spent the whole evening with each other, hanging out. Look at verse 40. It picks up there. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the men who heard John the Baptist said and followed Jesus. Andrew went and found his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon, his brother, to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon. You're the son of John, but you'll be called Cephas, which means Peter. 
you guys are getting to see the very beginning of how this whole revolution began. So do you know Jesus, the most influential person that's ever walked the face of the earth, has covered every continent, every nation, every language. There is like the Jesus movement 2,000 years ago started with somebody that just said like, I liked hanging out with Jesus. I'm going to go get my brother. I'm going to go get Simon. And this is how it all began. Some of you are friends here. You were invited by somebody else. You've been invited in the same way that this whole thing began. Somebody said, dude, come check out Jesus. And look at Simon. Simon comes. And Simon's name in Hebrew is kind of like, his name kind of means listen. Like Shema is kind of how it sounds. And he says, ah, Simon. And it says, Jesus looked intently. Okay, let's try and put ourselves in the scene. What do you think intently looked like? How do you picture Jesus' eyes as Simon comes and he thinks he's found the Messiah and he looks intently at him and he says, son of John, Simon, you're not Simon anymore. Like this is the first introduction, okay? I'm gonna call you The Rock. That's a pretty cool nickname, right? There's a guy who's pretty famous named The Rock. I guess that was like, that one's already taken, right? He said, I'm giving you a new identity. Now let's talk just a sec about identity because this is a big, hot word. Identity is like this. If I introduced myself, what do I feel most closely related to about myself? So like when I was younger, I would have said, hey, uh, my name's Brian and I play baseball. That would have been like my identity. I'm a baseball player. Then at some point, I probably would have said like, hey, what's up? I'm Brian. I'm the varsity baseball coach at Tempe High School. That's how I would probably have thought of like what my identity is. And then I had kids. I was like, hey, I'm Brian. I'm Julie's husband. I'm Katie's dad. I'm Tyler's dad. Like that's the thing I, I, close, I most closely find my identity in. Or hey, I'm Brian and I'm the youth pastor at Redemption Gilbert. Now, that's me, uh, that's me telling you who I feel like I am. Simon came to Jesus with a good idea of who he thought he was. And Jesus says, you're not that. You're actually this. Now, who in the world could tell you that? You're not a football player. You're so-and-so. Who could tell you what you should put your identity in? Like nobody, nobody has that right to do that. Unless who? The one that made you. You come to your creator and he goes, you think you're this? That's not what I made you to be. You're the rock. Hey, if your phone is gonna go off, at least it's John chapter one. That was awesome. Your creator you come to your creator, and he says, no, 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 you're not that. This is who you are. Let's look and see what happens next. The next day, this is verse 30, or 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Now, Galilee, if you look at Israel, it's kind of like this. There's the Dead Sea down here, and then there's the Jordan, and here's the Sea of Galilee. 
And Jesus' ministry is kind of like down here in Jerusalem, back up to Galilee. Down here in Jerusalem, back up to Galilee. We're going to follow that. So he's heading back up to Galilee, and he sees some dude named Philip, and he says this, come follow me. Now, what did I tell you about that phrase? That's like Stanford just called and said, Laney, full scholarship, come to Stanford, please study here. This is the news that Philip just got. But I told you that they give that scholarship to who? The best. Like the smartest, the strongest, you've memorized the most scripture, you've been the most obedient, you're the best kid, and you get, come follow me. Philip is busy doing whatever on the side of the road, and Jesus walks by and says, come follow me. And Philip goes, what? Like, I dropped out of Hebrew school when I was in second grade. You know, I didn't make the cut, but this guy wants me. And he drops everything, and now he's in. He's a disciple. Now, so what? How does this relate to you? Some of you think you have to be the smartest. Some of you think that God picks his disciples and his people just like we pick kickball teams. Like he's looking, I'm going to change the world, but I got to have the best kids. I'm going to pick the best. I'm going to pick the smartest. I'm going to pick the most popular. I'm going to pick the ones that have the most money. I'm going to pick the ones that are the prettiest. I'm going to pick the ones that's not how he does it. He sees Philip and he says, come follow me. Now, what does Philip do? Verse 45, Philip went to look for Nate. Nathaniel, what did he do? He went and found his buddy, right? Andrew went and found his, his uh, brother and said, come on. Philip goes and finds Nate and says, we've found the very person that the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets were talking about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph. He's from Nazareth. Now, you don't know anything about Nazareth right now, but when, when you hear Nate open his mouth, you're going to know what kind of town Nazareth was. Nate says, Nazareth? Like, like Gila Bend? You guys know where Gila Bend is? Anyone from Gila Bend? My apologies if you're from Gila Bend. What, Nazareth? And he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? You're telling me Messiah, God's son that's come to change the world, has come out of Nazareth? I got to see this. And Nate comes. Philip says, come see for yourself. And as they approach Jesus, this is verse 47, Jesus says, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Now, you're walking up to this man, Jesus, from Nazareth. Everybody's talking like he is the Messiah. And you walk up, and he says, ah, Tommy, Tommy Weber. He says, a man of complete integrity. And Tommy was like, Gila Bend? Ain't no Messiah come from Gila Bend? And Jesus could have said, uh, that's offensive. That's my hometown. And Jesus doesn't get offended. He goes, Tommy Weber. Man, this is the guy that doesn't lie right here. Like this, this greeting of Tommy and his creator, Nate and his creator, in this like great interaction. And then Nate goes, wait, how do you know about me? 
Like, you just said my name, and you said something about me. How do you know me? And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree. Before Philip went and got you, I saw you. And and Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Let's stop right there. When you come to Jesus, and by the way, Jesus is calling all of us to be his disciple. You are not coming as a stranger to him. Nathanael walked up to Jesus and he says, I know you. I saw you. I know your character. How comforting that when we come to Jesus, we don't have to like pretend to be somebody other than Tommy Weber. I mean, you guys should be something other than Tommy Weber, but Tommy Weber should be Tommy Weber, right? You should be yourself because you're coming to Jesus and we already know he's not looking for the all-stars. He called Philip randomly and said, come follow me. And now he's invited me and I come and he says, I know you, Brian. And he knows my character and he knows who my dad is. Listen, Jesus knows who you are. He saw Nathaniel under the fig tree. He sees you. You're not coming as a stranger to him. He knows you. Now look at the last thing. Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you're the son of God. And Jesus says, wait, do you believe this just because I told you I'd seen you under the fig tree? And it's almost like Jesus is like, Oh my gosh, you're gonna, you have no idea what you're about to see. If you're impressed by the fig tree, he says, you'll see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will see heaven open up and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Now this is when you're new to the Bible and you're like, oh, I got this story, I got this story. And then you hit that thing and you go, wait, what? Like, you're going to see heaven open up and angels are like climbing up and down on Jesus, going in between heaven and earth? What in the world is he talking about? I'm going to give you a Bible tip, okay? In my Bible, you can look down here at the bottom, and it's like whenever you go, what in the world is that? I look at, oh, that was verse 51 that he said, and I look up 151, and it says, check out Genesis 28. Okay, it's, a, it's called a cross-reference. So you go to Genesis 28, and a guy named Jacob, who later is named, God gives him a new identity named Israel. Have you heard of Israel? Jacob is asleep, and God gives him a dream, and he says, your people are my people. Your family is my family, and this land, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to bless the nations. And in this dream, there's a ladder that goes from earth to heaven, called Jacob's Ladder. Maybe you guys have heard that. And it's like the stairway or bridge between heaven and earth. And what Jesus is saying here, you know that dream that Jacob had, that out of Israel would come a ladder that's a stairway from earth to heaven? I'm that ladder. I'm the bridge, he tells him. You're, you're impressed by the fig tree? Let me tell you, you're going to see an overlap of heaven and earth. Like if we could bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we would just see a little overlap of heaven and earth together. Do you know where we see that? 
in Jesus's life. He is the gateway and he is the bridge. He's the overlap of heaven and earth. That's the end of chapter one. Now I've got some questions. I think I have some questions. I don't know why you came tonight. Everyone has a different motivation, okay? Some of you came looking for God. What you didn't know and what you might be surprised to know is that God has been looking for you. You might have came looking for God, but what you might not have known is God has been looking for you. He saw you before you came. He's calling you to come follow him and be a disciple, to learn his teachings, to imitate his character, and to reproduce him in his ministry. And he's better than the one that you're following now. The disciples left John the Baptist. Who do you need to leave? Like, who are the people that you are devoting your life to following? Some of you came tonight uh, sure about who you were and who your identity was. I'm Brian, and I am this. Your identity was secure in what you thought. What you didn't know is that God knows you better than yourself. And if you come to him and follow him, he will tell you who he created you to be. You want to live fully on this earth? You got to live as who God created you to be. Some of you came tonight thinking you weren't impressive enough for God. You filled with shame or guilt, like I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough kid. I'm not smart enough. I'm not the kid that gets picked on the Jesus team. I hope you're surprised to know that he is calling all people. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He created you. He's calling you to come follow him, not based on how good a kid you are. Some of you came tonight because a friend brought you. What you might not have known is that's how the whole Jesus revolution began and how it continues, is we interact with Jesus and we go to our friends and go, come check this out with me. Just check it out. I think I've found Messiah. I think I've found God. Bring your friends. And for those of you that have been brought, thank your friends. At the very least, they want to share goodness with you. Some of you thought you were following, uh, that following Jesus started with some radical movement where everything changes all at once. I decided to follow Jesus and it's radical, like everything changed and it's amazing and all my desires changed and I became this radical Christian and it's amazing. Here's how Christianity starts. Jesus says, what do you want? And they say, I just want to, I just want to be with you. Like that's the beginning of a relationship with God and discipleship. I just want to hang out with you. I just want to be where you're at. This is how the team of average people has changed the world. Now, in the courtroom, we have the advantage of knowing that 2,000 years later after this moment, he's still considered the greatest person ever to walk the earth. And how it started is in the most normal way with the most normal people and the most normal conversation to be like, Come and see. That's God's call for you tonight. I'm going to pray for you. Father, you have called all nations to be your disciples. We know that you've been called Messiah, 
that you've been called the Son of God, that you've been called the Word of God, that you've been called the very Word that breathes life into everything and brings light to darkness, and you've called these kids and this staff to come follow you to receive life eternal, a new identity, and a new family. God, I pray the weight of that decision would not be taken lightly. We pray in Christ's name, amen.